Send money, but it won't get you too far, get you too far. Welcome to episode five of Major Revisions. This week, we're all in the same place. Woo! Woo! So, here as always is Professor-elect Grace Wilkinson. Hey, Jeff. Of Iowa State University. Uh, postdoc from Kansas, John Walter. Hey, Jeff. Hey. Sorry, I've forgotten who everyone is. No, I'm just doing this. And I'm <laughs> Jeff Atkins from Virginia Commonwealth University. And today, we're going to be talking... A little bit more about applying to grad school and how all that works and how to get in and why you would even want to do that. But first, what's going on, guys? We've never done this face-to-face before. This is weird. I know. It is weird. We, I, I enjoy it. I can actually see your guys' reactions to things. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, true. I think we're going to interrupt each other just as much, but we'll have better reaction time to it now. I'm going to try not to like touch the table constantly and like, break things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we don't have to do the awkward like pause and just wait. Yeah. Which would be good. So. <laughs> so hopefully it's better for you, the listener, as well. <laughs> hopefully it's better for Jeff, who edits out the pauses. <laughs> <laughs> this is not so bad. I still need to edit last week's episode. So by the time this comes out, they'll just both come out at the same time. So it'll uh, it'll all be good. Did you guys have a good Halloween? Anyone dress up? Anything good? We, we had trick-or-treaters. We had a oh, few. That's weird. Yeah. Nice. We went trick-or-treating. My kids... The neighborhood is so, like, flush with candy, it's ridiculous that they basically just get tired of carrying all the candy around at a certain point, and they're like, okay, let's go home, Dad. Wow. It's just, what a They life. go as long as they can. It's pretty awesome. And there's, like, these professional cosplayers who live in the neighborhood. So the first year that we were there, they had a fully, like, working war machine costume. Like, the dude who's friends with Iron Man or whatever, like, with the glowing thing and everything, and the little cannon that, like, flipped out. And this year, they were stormtroopers. Wow. So it's pretty Very extreme. nice. What did you dress up as? Um, I went as Luis from Bob's Burgers, and my wife went as Tina, which worked out really well, except that she had hurt her back, and so she didn't actually go trick-or-treating, so I just kind of wandered around. Oh, That's a bummer. Robert and I went as Bob and Linda Belcher, so together we oh, would have been dude, all in Bob's that's Burgers. Crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> and I just want to say one thing before we start, besides the fact that I look like I spiked the hell out of the sound there. That's all good. That uh, women's leggings, you guys have been hiding those from us. They are really comfortable. <laughs> this is why we wear them as pants. <laughs> yeah. So, well, now that you guys are uncomfortable, let's talk grad school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, they're really, like, they're not too heavy, like the men's, like, Under Armour things. It's, it's nice. Yeah, they're it's breathable. Good. Yeah, I like they're, it. You move in them? Yeah. Old Navy. Way to go. All right, so where do we leave off? So I think last time we were talking about um, a lot of the how you pick a good graduate program or a graduate program that's right for you, more importantly. And so now maybe today we're going to talk a little bit more about the process of applying to graduate school and the things that you need to have lined up or ready to go when you start that application process. Um, So probably first and foremost, we talked a bit last time about the emails that you send to prospective advisors, um, investigating whether or not they are able to take students and what their funding situation might be. But one of the things you should include in that email is your CV. So what sort of things should go on a CV when you're sending it and applying to graduate school? Oh, man. Because at this point, you're going to be an undergrad, most likely, right? Right. You're going to... Well, a lot of people will be 
you know, undergrads or, you know, in the workforce for, you know, maybe a, a couple years. Yeah. Um, that's probably, that's probably the majority of people who are first time grad school applicants. Um, so, you know, you want to put your degree information. Um, I put, I put my coursework, uh, on mine and then, um, uh, research projects, you know, both sort of independent research experiences and um, some of the courses that I took, um, you know, like Grace, I was at a small liberal arts school where we had a lot of very, um, you know, project and research oriented courses. And so I even put, you know, some of the, you know, some of the major work that I had done from those types of things, um, you know, like term papers that involved you know, collecting um, data in the field or the lab um, and put stuff about skills that I had. Um, probably the biggest thing that helped me get into or, you know, look like a good candidate for the the position, the graduate position that I ended up taking was um, experience with GIS and remote sensing. Um, and so if you, if you can prove that you step in with some, um, you know, research skills, whether they're, you know, computational, field-based, lab-based, any of that, um, those are huge assets for your application. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely play up any type of research activity you've been able to engage in. Um, if you're listening to this and planning to go, like, in the future, like, say you're in your third year or something, or second year, you can start looking at those research experience undergrad projects, the REU projects that we talked about before, like, different places host those all across the country. Um, they're great because... One, you get an immersive research experience, but two, you also get paid. And so that's really good because I found that really difficult for me um, to find kind of like experiences. You know, I couldn't like, I was in a situation of playing where I couldn't volunteer and go do stuff because like I had, you know, I had a kid and I was married and it was a little bit more difficult. Like it can, it can be difficult if you don't kind of come from a background or a situation where it's easier to go volunteer somewhere for a year or something. So if you get some, something in an REU program, you can get paid for it while you do it. It's a really good experience. You can usually get something publishable out of that, too, which is just absolutely huge if mm -hmm. you want to apply and get in somewhere. Um, you know, you can also look for, like, work-study situations and or, you know, even, like, course removal things. Like, I worked with a couple of undergrads when I was at University of Virginia. Where we're actually recording now. Shout out. Holler, Clark Hall. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, you know, you can get, like, count that as course credit. And it's not... The best situation, like ideally, you can get paid. You should get paid for it. But if you're doing your kind of own research project, it's, it's helpful to get something. But play that up. I also sent in because uh, I did not have anything published. I sent in uh, a copy. Somebody just passed us a note under the door here. I don't know. We may be in trouble. Secret recording. It's a note on lidar. Yeah, it's about lidar. I can edit this out. Sorry. But <laughs> So I totally just sit in like a copy of a lab report that I had written that I just, you know, some like give an example of writing if you don't have anything. But uh. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think it's really important, John was talking about coursework, to not only include ecological or environmental science coursework, but um, if you've taken chemistry courses, analytical chemistry, yeah, if you've taken math courses, stats, those are all important things, physics as well, that the professors are going to want to see. Philosophy of science, mm -hmm. ethics... Like, I, no, I mean, no, no, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm dead serious. I mean, there are a lot of people who, you know, who care about that. And if you know much about philosophy of science, then, 
you automatically know something about um, sort of the logic of experimental design and um, statistical analysis and, and things like that. Um, and, you know, they affect how we do science in non-trivial ways. Um, so, and they're found courses a lot of the times, too. I mean, that's... Yeah, I, absolutely. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. What are you saying? Well, I was just going to ask about if, um, what CV blunders have you guys seen or what maybe had on your CVs when you submitted them? I think, I don't know. I know I had something dumb, but I can't remember what it was. I remember I sent in the resume because like I had a lot of like work experience and I didn't really have, it was like less academic because I had done like an undergrad, I had edited like a literature journal and done some other stuff like that, but I didn't really have anything. I think I talked a lot in my letter about stuff I like to do outside that wasn't really applicable. <laughs> Just kind of <laughs> random about that. I don't know if that was really helpful. Yes, a love of nature is a good thing for being an environmental <laughs> scientist, but it's not necessarily a qualification. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not, because I have a really good friend who's up at Cornell right now, and she often talks about how she never really goes outside, and she grew up in the city, and she's, just, she's allergic to things, and she never really goes outside, but she's an excellent scientist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think I see sometimes um, when I'm editing students' CVs before they send them out to prospective professors, they're often including activities from their high school days, oh, and uh, you're really beyond that. And so if, if it's on there and it's a high school activity, unless it's very, very much related to maybe a skill or something that you've acquired that might be useful in grad school, pretty much take out all the high school stuff. Really? That's what I yeah. did. I put I was president of my high school science club. Okay, see, and so that's science related, so maybe that would maybe. be okay. But, you know, the fact that you were on the volleyball team and in National Honor Society and such, hopefully you've done more things in the past four years of your undergraduate and maybe being out in the workforce that you don't need to use those high school credentials anymore. Yeah, I mean, maybe the one exception to that is if you, you know, did something like extremely prestigious. Like if you were like a National Merit Scholar or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that should, you know, that can stay on there. Um, but, but yeah, the, you know, the activities, um, you know, your your high school volunteer work, unless it's relevant to... Um, so, so my 10 blocks in that game against Fairview in middle school, like, does not count. That, that'd be correct. <laughs> not so like, much. I own that team. Just saying. So, John, you mentioned National Merit Scholarship, and that's taken after you take a standardized national test. The other standardized test that you usually have to take into, to get into graduate school is the GRE, or Graduate Record Exam. Which has changed since we've all taken it. It has. Yeah. I don't yeah. They took out the fun part, I think. Or, I guess you could say... What part about the, it was fun, Jeff? The torturous part. <laughs> like the weird algorithm that it does. Oh. With like some of those A-B things. Yeah. Do you remember this? You had like one column A, one column B, and you had to pick which was larger or which was something. Yeah, yes. and they've changed the English stuff, and I, I don't know, I was always, like, I don't know, I like the sort of oh, torturous okay. English things. I was, yeah, I thought it was fun. Uh, so when I took the GRE the first time, this was back in the fall of 2009, when swine flu, the swine flu epidemic was happening, and I had swine flu when I went to go take my first GRE test, and it was... Let's just say it was terrible. I don't remember most of the test, and that was probably because of the fever. Yep. And I probably did a really good job of spreading the swine flu to everyone at the testing center. Yeah, that's fine. My mom, I remember, actually was hospitalized with swine flu oh when I was taking mine. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but how much does the GRE matter? Totally depends on the school. 
Yeah, you know, I I think, yeah, um, I spoke to labs where if you under the you know the old scoring system, if you didn't have a fourteen hundred, they didn't look at your application. But that was a famous person that you know undoubtedly got a lot of applications and um you know so even if it's arbitrary you know you got to screen them somehow that's Um, that's a really good point like you have to build in a filter you know if you look at some of these schools and these programs they're going to get a huge amount of applications that first run i mean most of them are really good so you got to have some kind of screen and people will default to a test for good or bad yeah, so if you're putting together that email that you're sending to advisors and you've taken the GRE, put what your scores were in there on your CV or in that email because they're going to want to know that to know if you meet the minimum requirements to either be in their program or in their lab. Yep, um, but at the same time, there are also a lot of people who you know really uh, couldn't care less about your yeah, GRE totally. scores, um, don't feel like it's a good reflection of... Um, you know, your potential as a scientist. And, you know, I, t- I tend to come down more in that camp. Um, but I, I, you know, do acknowledge that, you know, there are practical reasons to setting up some, you know, kind of screening if you are the kind of um, department or lab group that receives a lot of applications. Yeah, I agree. And that's just something as well that um, I, I personally don't care about the GRE or how students that are applying to my lab have done to it, but my department or the program that my students are applying to just has a minimum benchmark. And it's pretty moderate. It's mm-hmm. a very reasonable benchmark, but I need to know that the applicants that are applying to my lab can meet that benchmark. Otherwise, I'll say take the test again or just don't apply because the, my program won't let them in and I have no control over that. Yeah, I think, you know, if you, I don't know, if you're kind of like above the benchmark or whatever in your, your letter, just don't make that the first thing you mention. You know, play up the positive yeah. things. Just, yeah. Do you 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 want to build the whole picture of who you are as a person and why you you can get in? I was fortunate that I. Well, you were talking about courses earlier. You know, I think it's important to to play up that you took challenging courses. I don't think grades so much matter. Like, I'd rather work with someone who's getting B pluses and A minuses and really difficult classes than A's and pretty cakewalk easy things. Yeah. But. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was on the other end of the filter where my grades are like, eh, but my GR, GRE scores were really good. <laughs> so I wanted to play that up. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> so. it, it is. A, it's an opportunity to, you know, show um, something good about yourself too. Yeah. So if you know if if it is an asset to your application, absolutely highlight it. Um, I guess the you know the message is that if it's not your greatest asset, then highlight what is and um you know under only under a few circumstances out of a large pool of potential graduate programs and advisors um would you know mediocre gre scores really kill your candidacy oh yeah definitely so speaking of the application um what sort of components usually go into one of these applications? So how could an applicant prepare to start putting this package together? Oh, man, what does usually go in? We usually have, like, the actual application. You have to fill out the physical form. That's just information and background. They usually ask for some type of, usually, like, a cover letter, right? Yeah, it's like a cover letter, a personal statement kind of thing, um, you know, which 
it probably isn't identical to, but might you know draw a bit from the uh, letter, the email that you send around to potential advisors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both those things should have a version of that. Yeah, but b- both of those things should have information about you know your motivation for you know entering this field of study and. Um, the you know qualifications that you have and the kinds of things that you hope to achieve as a graduate student. Keep it brief and concise to mm-hmm. the point, though, and definitely have someone else read it. Yeah. Yeah. Want to you know make sure, and this this may sound ridiculous, but make sure because you're probably going to be applying to more than one school that you have the school that you're applying to in that letter matched up to the school you're sending it to. <laughs> you don't want to oh, do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably not be good. If you're applying to, you know, just don't do that. Some places make you write like statements of some kind, like personal statements as well, kind of extra essays, which is. Yeah. And there's usually prompts for those, yeah. yeah. And they're along the lines of the sort of the things we talked about. Um, it's always good to ground those statements, I think, in using concrete examples. Um, so yeah. if you can, so you can mm-hmm. say, you know, I, I, I can't think of a good example, but you can make a general broad statement about who you are and what you want to be as a scientist and then give a concrete example. And those sorts of things make those statements, A, very readable, and B, interpretable by the review committee. So consider that. Um, They also ask for your transcripts, usually. So you need to know whether or not you need official or unofficial, and that can take time to send. So get on top of that. Yeah. And all this costs money. Lots of money. So Yes, it does. You definitely need lead times. I mean, GREs are not cheap. You only get so many that are uh, free or whatnot. How many schools would you apply to? Um, when I was applying, the advice I was given was to contact 25 advisors via email, narrow it down, and um, I would probably hear back from half of them. From that, there might be four to five schools that I would apply to based on people that said they had both interest and funding. So That's I believe I applied to four. I think I applied to six. Um, I probably, yeah, emailed between you know twenty five and thirty um, people. Probably heard back from uh, about half of them. I think that's about the going rate, and I think we talked about that a little bit last time too. That you know, not everyone writes back, and I wouldn't necessarily take it personally, but yeah, yeah it's hard not to sometimes. One thing too is you know this this is a little bit of a different process than you know your friends who might be applying to med school or law oh, school. Yeah, totally different. Uh, yeah. It's it's a lot less formal, um, and you know each application is really more of an investment you know on your part and on the part of your prospective advisor, um, and so you know it's. Whereas it's not uncommon for people to apply to, you know, 10 plus law or med schools, I think that that's very uncommon for uh, for graduate programs in ecology and environmental sciences. I agree. Um, one of the things that you'll also be asked on many of the applications to identify is not just the advisor, potential advisor you want to work with, but some other people in the department or the program mm-hmm. that you could potentially work with. Because, you know, you need to form a committee. Maybe sometimes there might be a funding issue or some other issue that you don't end up with that potential advisor, but you stay in the program. And so just don't get thrown for a loop by that and look around in the department and identify a few people. Mm-hmm. That's not, I, I thought it was a really big deal and I got very nervous during that portion. Turns out it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> no, totally not. <laughs> but <laughs> it did throw me for a loop when I did that first application. 
Um, and then they also asked for letters of reference. So how did you guys pick your letters of reference writers? I was so I went back and I was going I was doing a post degree at the time, so I had my advisor there and then also uh, my boss where I was working and then uh, a lady who owned a farm who I had actually done like work on. Like I did a research project out there and some other stuff, so that's how I did it. Well, yeah. yeah, I I think that I mainly had three professors from uh, from my department. Um, you know, two, well, t one of whom I was doing research with, um, and the other two I had ha taken multiple courses with. Um, so of course you want to pick people who, um, know you well. Um, I think that, you know, ac academic people, um, oftentimes carry more weight than, you know, your boss at your summer job yeah. um, unless you know of course you're if you're lucky enough that your um, summer job um, or an internship that you've done is relevant to the kind of program that you're applying to for graduate school yeah um what else is there yeah my letter writers were two professors that i was doing research with and then someone i had done an reu with in the previous summer so that's that research experience for undergraduates that Jeff was talking about earlier. Yeah, I think research experience is really important. Um, you know, if you do have the chance to, you know, interact with someone from that's not from your, you know, home um, institution in, you know, a capacity that would, you know, make them a good letter writer, that's, that's really... I think looked on um, very well. So you know things like an RU program um, where you get to go outside your institution. That's that's awesome. That person should definitely be a letter writer. For sure. Um, so let's say you submit your application. You hear back um, sometime in probably February from the school, and they've invited you for a campus visit. What's that all about? Yeah, so that's a, I mean, that's a great thing. That's a very strong indication that you are one of that school's, you know, top candidates. Um, you know, most schools don't invite out every person that they eventually admit, but they um, invite out uh, the people that, that they really want. Yeah, absolutely. What do those usually look like? Or what did you guys, did you guys both visit here? Or yeah, what did you, mm -hmm. what did it look like for you? Yeah, so when I did the visit here, this was the year before we actually instituted a visit weekend in our yeah. department. Yeah. <laughs> so um, mine was a little bit more of a sort of organic thing. The people in the lab that I was joining, those students um, picked me up from the airport. They hosted me. Um, they took me around to some courses. I got to meet with professors, my um, potential Advisor set me up meetings with him as well as with other professors um, that I might have interest in in the department And it was all and then we I went to a dinner at that professor's house as well hosted a dinner oh. for the lab um, and that was um, All paid for by the lab that I was visiting nice. um, Yeah oh, yeah. yeah, I mean my experience is pretty similar to that um, You know expect to meet with faculty with current grad students um, in my case, I met with a number of faculty that were in our biology department, um, as well as in our 
environmental sciences department um, because my you know research interests lean towards that end of the spectrum um, of environmental sciences. Um, yeah, I, what I one thing I'll, I will say about that is that the the grad student interaction is really important um, because those are going to be you know your you know your colleagues, your friends um, for you know in, in most cases uh, at least a few years, um, and that's also one of the places that you'll get the most honest feedback um, about the program about what it's like to be in that lab and to work with that advisor um, so that that's a really crucial moment um, to you know to get a feel for things and um, you know to ask you know to ask hard questions that you might not feel as comfortable asking um you know to the chair of the department okay so that's a good transition we got a couple we got about three or four more minutes here what what are the questions you should ask yeah so i would ask the advisor themselves what sort of advising style they have and their expectations for their students and then when the advisor isn't there ask the exact same question of their students and see how those two answers compare (laughs) that's important Uh, ask ask about funding um you know you want to know if the uh, the students in the lab are well funded? Um, are they, you know, getting their own, you know, small grants and fellowships? Um, do they absolutely have to do that in order to get their research done, or does the advisor have money um, as well that helps keep things rolling? You can also ask kind of about the atmosphere of things and try to get a feel for how competitive it, competitive versus supportive it is. Yeah. Um, you can get a feel for what it's like to be in the area. Um, we talked about last time, you know, you don't want to commit to spending, you know, five plus years someplace that you're going to be unhappy. Um, so, you know, you want to know about the social scene too and, you know, what kinds of opportunities for, you know, having fun outside of being a grad student or like... I think a, a non-obvious question that I always ask, because um, I asked how when I started here, is you do you plan on being here for a while? Because I was you know, definitely interested in, you know, I want to make sure, like, are you are you happy here? You want to stay? Are you, are you, do you plan on being here the entire time that I'm going to be here? Because, I mean, it's just a matter of fact that faculty do move around, you know, if a, a better opportunity exists or whatever they feel for whatever reason, you know, they may move and you want to... I don't know. That's a great point. You can ask that, like, you know, hey, do you, is it all good? Are we, is this a stable situation yeah. here? Yeah. You know, so. And another acceptable answer um, is, well, maybe not, but I'll take you with me if I go, is another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is another reason why you also want to look around and maybe see some other people that you potentially work with in a department. <laughs> That's another yeah. good reason. I think another thing to also ask of the students and of the advisor is what their former students have gone on to do. Yeah, so you want to know whether or not this person has good placement track record or can help get their students um, into a network and get them jobs. Because you, you want to be paid. You also want to get the, uh, you can get an idea for the tone of how they speak of their former grad students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because most people, if they're really good advisors, you know, they're going to be really kind of going like, oh yeah, they're doing this. And they're going to be kind of excited about it or engaged. And if they have no idea... Or they're talking, you know, talking trash. 
<laughs> probably not a good sign. So, so to close out, do you guys have any other advice besides after you do all this, just cross your fingers and what is that grad cafe site where you can anonymously see when people get acceptances and denials? Yeah, I guess last piece of advice is just go with your gut. And if there's something about the situation at the school or the advisor or something, try to find out more information and address it. But if it's not right for you, it's not right for you and don't do it. This is the next three to five years of your life. <laughs> or more. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, that that's really good advice, and I would just second that. Yeah, have fun with it. So, before we close out, I have one forecast question for you, and then if you guys have anything else, you can do it as well. So, my question for you is to pick to the or what is your guess to the tenth of a percentile that Gary Johnson will get in the vote? Mm-hmm. The forecast, I think, on five thirty-eight is a. Four seven or three seven? I don't remember. That's I think it's a price. four seven right now. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go. But, how about we just do that? Do an over under. We'll put it at four five. Four point five. Do you take the over or the under on that? I'm gonna. I'm gonna take the under. I'm going under as well. I'm gonna take the under as well. You don't want to game theory it. I don't because I would like to believe. <laughs> that people will make a moral decision. Let's say that. I, yeah. Only with that. So, it'll be yeah. interesting to see, certainly. Yeah. Now, I, I learned this week there was, um, this is only tangentially related, that there was a vice president at some point, like the 1830s, who was elected and then refused to go to Washington, but like stayed in Kentucky to run his tavern the entire time he was vice president. Now I can't remember the name, but I'll look it up later. But I learned that piece of trivia today. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll post it on the website. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's it. Make sure you know you guys can email us at majorrevisionsshow at gmail dot com. Uh, website is majorrevisions.weebly.com, W E E B L Y, and we're on Twitter at major underscore revisions. We will likely be moving the uh, the feed to archive.org over SoundCloud as we very quickly filled up that uh, size quota there. But if you're in iTunes and everything else, the RSS feed has been updated and is good to go. So just, you know, iTunes would be a good way. And I'll figure out all the other things like Stitcher and Spotify eventually and we'll keep you guys updated. So many ways to listen to us. Oh my God. Yeah. So rate, review, whatever. I don't know how all that works. I'm not sure. Um, Do you guys have closing thoughts? Anything else? No, just thanks. And we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, have fun.